it is hard not to be a little bit nervous when you are speaking to the person responsible for charging tyrants with war crimes. But luckily for me, this was during an inspiring conversation about her upbringing, challenges, and hopes for the future. Today, I have the privilege and pleasure to speak to the Chief Prosecutor of the International Criminal Court, Madame Fatou Bensouda. She has received several nominations, including Thai Magazine, who listed her among the 100 most influential people in the world in 2012, noting her role as a leading voice, pressing governments to support the quest for justice. Okay, Madame okay. Bensouda, thank you so much mm -hmm. for joining uh, the Georgie's Global Village, this podcast. I, it is a true honor and pleasure to have you, and thank you for accepting this invitation. Would you like to give us a little bit of background on how you grew up and what inspired you to get into law? Um, first of all, let me thank you again very much for having me. I am actually very pleased to be part of your efforts to inspire young women and girls in Africa and beyond. Uh, to me, I, I think they are crucial to humanity's future, and they represent a whole new generation of leaders and influencers. So every one of them has a right to live life to their fullest potential. Indeed, I believe that the world depends on it. Um, about background, I am a West African and a proud native of the Gambia. I was brought up in a large family uh, with, uh, in fact, a polygamous family with, uh, I call them strong mothers. That's both my mother and my stepmother. And uh, also because we, we also lived in an extended family setting. Um, I, I think you will understand what I mean. Oh, yes. At the time where you have uh, your aunts, uh, your uncle's wives, and uh, um, uh, we, we really live in a kind of a small community. And uh, of course I live with my siblings, uh, both my elder ones and uh, younger ones. And amongst the elder ones, we are also women. So I, I really was surrounded by many women and they taught me to respect the dignity and the value of every life. And uh, for school, I, I, I went to school in, in Banjul. We, we, I mean, I grew up in the capital in Banjul. I went to school in both for primary school and for high school um, along with my siblings. And uh, after high school, I, I, I worked as a young woman, um, as a courtroom clerk in the capital in Banjul. And during those years, uh, I have heard many stories of sexual and domestic violence survivors. Um, they would come to court and they would relieve their ordeals in court. And for me, I felt I had to do something to help these women. There must be a way, I always said to myself, that I could contribute um, and I believe that it was their plight and their courage which inspired me to study law. So ever since, I have been an advocate of, uh, for gender equality and justice. I love um, that. Every I love woman that. and girl, every, every child, in fact, every human being, I believe, deserves to live life fully, free, of, free from violence and free even from the fear of violence. Yes, thank you so much. I absolutely agree. And I'm working in the same field as you. So I totally understand uh, where you're coming from and appreciate that that's what you're doing. We need more prosecutors like you helping to fight for women's rights, especially against violence. Indeed, indeed, indeed. It's important. Yeah. It's important. 
Thank you for sharing that and for sharing also that women were a strong influence in your life. I think that's very important to share. And uh, they probably yes. were the ones who pushed you to further your studies as well. And um, absolutely something. Yeah. Uh, a big part of their influence that uh, informed my my uh, later years in life, uh, studying, going abroad, studying and uh, becoming a lawyer. It, it really, they had a lot to do with it. And I'm sure they're very, very proud of you. <laughs> um, they are. Yes. <laughs> so let's go to your professional life. And do you remember the day and where you were and what you were doing when the news was announced that you were going to be the chief prosecutor of the International Criminal Court and how you reacted? Um, of course, it was a profound honor for me to be elected by consensus by the Assembly of States Parties. This is those who are, who are part who ratified the Rome Statute and are States Parties to the Rome Statute. Um, I, it was a profound honor to be elected as prosecutor of the International Criminal Court. In fact, I was humbled by the faith that states placed in me. And here I'm talking about over a hundred states parties. And uh, I have always remained very aware of the very great responsibility that this role brings with it. Um, at the time of my election, this was in December of 2011. This was in New York uh, during an Assembly of States Parties a meeting. That is really when uh, the prosecutors, uh, pros the prosecutor is elected to uh, for a term of nine years. Uh, but at that time, I, I was in fact already working at the ICC. Um, I had served since 2004 as deputy prosecutor of the ICC and I was in charge of the prosecution's division. For that position too, as deputy prosecutor, I had been elected to that position. And uh, this was in 2004. I was elected by an overwhelming majority of states parties. So I would say that I came, I came into the position with my eyes open and I knew this would not be an easy job yet precisely because this court is the only hope for justice. So for so many victims and survivors of atrocity crimes, there was never any question of being daunted by the task. So, and these convictions were only reinforced by my experience in the international criminal law field and continue to drive me to this day. So at that time, as I said, I was in New York, the election had taken place. And uh, of course it was a, a big, uh, a moment of honor and a moment of pride, uh, not only for me personally, but I believe for women, for women and uh, specifically for African women. Absolutely, I, I totally agree and I think it was, um, the fact that you're African and a woman, the double <laughs> a challenge, uh, made it very special that you would be the, you know, the world's most important uh, prosecutor. Um, so that brings me to my next question on what major challenges you have faced in this role and did being an African woman add to this challenge? Um, I, would, I would first of all say that the fact of my being a woman and an African uh, two facts, by the way, which I am immensely proud, um, have, if anything, they better equip me to face the many challenges of this role. 
Um, of course, there have been many challenges along the way, great and small, and both professional and personal. And uh, as we speak, people around the world continue to suffer the devastating impact of war and conflict. And to that, we, we must now add the unprecedented global health crisis. But let me, let me just say that uh, challenges are intrinsic to our work and they are substantial challenges. And they range from cooperation, good cooperation or total lack of cooperation from limited resources against the growing demand because every day we have more and more demands for ICC to act. Also to arresting the powerful, as you, you have seen over the years, we've had several difficulties <laughs> in, in arresting uh, people who are, who are powerful and in powerful positions. Also misperceptions, misperceptions about the court, what the court can and what the court cannot do. We suffer from, we have challenges of politicization, which is, uh, and they politicize our mandate, which is purely legal. We also have challenges to witness interference. Um, to the complexity of investigating in conflict and post-conflict situations. And these are only some that I would name. But uh, I, 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 was, I faced these uh, challenges together with my team, um, not as a woman, not as an African woman, but as a prosecutor with a responsibility, um, this huge responsibility. And I, and I faced it in that manner and uh, was able to rise up to the challenge. But, but And I, I just want to say that doing all this, I think I see it as an investment in justice, notwithstanding these challenges, these huge challenges we face, is well worth its return because the cost of doing justice is very small compared to the cost of conflict and its human toll. So ending impunity for the worst crimes can bring not only solace to victims and survivors, but also by deterring future crimes it can protect the next generation from falling victim. So there are challenges, there will be challenges. There will always be challenges because of the nature of our work. And what we have to do as prosecutors, as, as those who, are, who have been selected to fight impunity for these atrocity crimes is to rise up to those challenges and to see for way, ways in which we can, we can deal with them. Yes, thank you. And I, I appreciate you saying the fact that you are a woman and an African already helped you to face this position that is already very Absolutely. challenging. Um, I think that's an important point that you made. And of course, mm -hmm. that this is a problem that will remain. And we've seen with the COVID that um, violence yes. against women has even increased worldwide, unfortunately. So my next question is, what were your three main highs? I'm, I'm saying three, it's probably more, uh, but the three main mm -hmm. highs at the criminal court which case are you most proud of? And is there a case you wish you had prosecuted but did not, you know, knowing that your time uh, as a chief prosecutor mm -hmm. is coming to an end in June? Uh, maybe there's yes. one that you wanted to do and did not get a chance to, if you could share that as well. Thank you. Sure. Um, I, I think the listeners will, will understand, will surely understand that in this job, it is uh, heartbreaking to see the suffering that is inflicted on our fellow human beings by the atrocity crimes we investigate, prosecute, and ultimately seek to prevent. So in all our cases, our first thoughts are with the victims. And irrespective of the outcome, 
all our cases are important and all involved many victims. And we have brought to trial powerful individuals accused of devastating crimes from sexual violence, including rape against men, forced pregnancy and forced marriage to the use of child soldiers or the intentional destruction of cultural heritage. And we have prosecuted individuals accused of trying to interfere with witnesses. We have secured important judicial achievements and our current investigations and preliminary examinations span the globe. And of course, this court can only intervene where we have jurisdiction to do so. That jurisdiction that is strictly defined and we must not stray beyond the four corners of our mandate. And where we do not have the jurisdiction, then we cannot act. But today, there are more than 120 countries and it's growing. And these countries have joined the ICC treaty as member states and where there is nowhere to hide for those who commit atrocity crimes. And what I'm proud of is that what we have accomplished in the nine years with my ABLE team and with the support of the court states parties, with civil society, the victims groups and all supporters of our work. Um, when I became prosecutor, the court had been functioning for nearly a decade. But having previously served as deputy prosecutor, I took over the office with an intimate familiarity with what worked well and what required improvement. So now in my new role as prosecutor in the driver's seat, it was important to engage in critical self-reflection on past performance and to see where we could build on what was accomplished and to enhance our operations. So the changes that I took together with my team were sweeping. We announced and we quickly moved to take a number of initiatives concerning strategic direction, organizational management and internal office culture. We, we adopted a new prosecutorial strategy with a major shift in how we investigate and build our cases. We enhanced our quality control mechanisms. We streamlined and strengthened our administrative procedures and we improved transparency in how we conduct our work. I think this was very important. So we made significant efforts to build a positive office culture, including by adopting a code of conduct for the office with mandatory trainings. And also we, we instituted the core values of the office. Uh, the core values of dedication, integrity, and respect. So these organizational values are to guide all aspects of our work. We strengthen an office that is accountable at all levels, both, both in terms of performance, but also professional conduct. So these efforts I just mentioned uh, materialized in important successes in court and a more effective and a more efficient office. So we, we, we have also done all this work without fear or favor, impervious to political pressure with great challenges in terms of shortages of resources, the pandemic, certain corporation challenges and the like. But I am immensely proud of where we are today. And I am confident my successor will continue to build on this positive trajectory. Yes, I think you've left, a, 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 you know, a remarkable um, trail. And I'm, I'm happy to hear also that of the changes, internal changes, and that you mentioned those internal changes that you've, you've made. So is there a case yeah. that you wish you had prosecuted but did not? 
or you feel proud of everything you've done? <laughs> or well, you know, the, yeah. yes, the cases, uh, the cases go on. The cases, uh, and as I mentioned earlier on, the, there are many uh, demands now on the office. And uh, there are there are so many so many requests on the office. Unfortunately, with so little resources, that sometimes you you wish you had made more progress in some of the cases that I have already started. For instance, uh, I would have loved to um, in the Libya case. For instance, I would have loved to make more progress, even though I'm making uh, already the investigations are on and quite a few. Uh, warrants have been issued in that situation, but still, I wish there could have been more, more, more progress. Again, there is the situation in Myanmar, Bangladesh. Yes. Uh, first yes. of all, I'm very proud of the fact that we have been able to uh, bring some form of contribution to that situation. Um, I'm saying this because you know that Myanmar is not a, a signatory to the Rome Statute. So it is therefore not part of the court. And normally we don't have jurisdiction in what is happening in Myanmar. But what, what my team and I did was to, um, to look into the situation to see how we can contribute. And we realized that uh, many people were being forced out of Myanmar into Bangladesh. And for us, this was um, uh, forced deportation. And you probably know that a deportation uh, um, will, international deportation happens when you cross an international border. So they crossed the border and got into Bangladesh, which is a state party to the Rome Statute. I was able to go together with my team to before the judges and argue that the crime of, of deportation only crystallizes or, or is completely committed when they cross the border and into a state party. And we argued that this, uh, and, and into another state. And we argued that that state of Bangladesh, which is a state party, therefore the crime ended, was completed on the territory of a state party and normally we should have jurisdiction. And this was an argument that the, uh, the, the, the judges have agreed with and they have authorized me to investigate into that situation. So at the moment, we are conducting investigations into that situation. Mm -hmm. For me, this was a contribution that we could bring to a very uh, desperate situation. Situation, yeah. The investigations are ongoing. Um, uh, the fact that I will not be here when it, when it all uh, finishes is probably one thing that I would say that I wish I would still be here. But as you know, uh, I have served my term. I am moving on. But I'm very, very uh, positive that my team and the, and the incoming prosecutor will see this uh, matter true. I, I do believe that in that situation also, justice deserves to be done. Amen. And I, I believe you will be following it very closely wherever you are. <laughs> so I wish indeed, your team a indeed. lot of luck. Yes, I was, I've been to Cox's indeed. Bazaar. I didn't go to the camp, but um, I've heard all the, uh, you know, horrific stories there. So it's good that you, that investigations are happening now for the Rohingya uh, refugees. Indeed. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. So as uh, the chief prosecutor, as a woman, as an African, what characteristics do you need to have to be in this role other than very thick skin? (laughs) Because when you're (laughs) in a position of power, there's a lot of hate around around people who have power or, you know, who are doing important things. So can you share what characteristics one needs to have to be in this role? Yes, uh, uh, thank you. Uh, I, I think uh, the role that I, I believe that the core values that I've chosen by my own staff and myself uh, to serve as the foundational principles for the way we work and the way we interact, I, I believe they are absolutely spot on. And, and not just for me, but for all of us in the office of the prosecutor of the ICC. I've mentioned it uh, already. These are the core values of dedication, integrity, and respect. And whatever exact words we use, these core values must be at the heart of everything we do. When it comes to difficult decisions, for example, my approach is rooted in the law, and it it also requires a good dose of determination. Because the decisions by the ICC prosecutor can spark many reactions, you mentioned it. It could be a relief or a joy in some quarters or resistance or fear or anger in others. And, and, and much of it may be directed at me personally. You mentioned thick skin. I, I need to have that thick skin because people personalize. They, 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 they always forget that I am sitting here and I'm doing this work because I was elected as prosecutor of the International Criminal Court and I'm acting in that capacity, but people tend to personalize uh, my work. So, and depending on which side of the conflict you stand, and in a highly politicized world, the decisions I make may trigger deeply emotional responses. Uh, Again, thick skin. I cannot be moved by praise or by censor. And I pledged when I took my oath of allegiance in 2012 to strictly honor my mandate, I have kept that pledge. The best interests of the victims and a scrupulous adherence to the law have guided me through every decision. My approach is grounded in my duty to apply the law impartially, objectively, and independently. Where I have evidence, where our careful analysis shows in strict accordance with the Rome Statute that I should act, where this, act, where this court has jurisdiction and no one else is doing justice for the victims, then the decision I make will be the one required by the law. So when it comes to duty, I could not, and I have never chosen to look the other way. For me, these are critically important characteristics that I need to have. Um, I believe that the credibility of this institution is absolutely important. And we can only preserve that credibility by making sure always that we are acting in accordance with the law, that we have considerations as guided by the Rome Statute and not considerations, for instance, of politics or or other other kinds of considerations. This is not what should guide my office. (laughs) I see why they selected you to be the chief prosecutor of the ICC. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing those uh, characteristics that are extremely important. Um, Yes. What lessons do you take away from this time in this specific position after nine years? 
Yes, uh, indeed, uh, it has been quite an experience, and uh, I agree there are many lessons to to, to take away from this. Um, but you know, the fact that the expectations on the court are immense, and that the ICC is absolutely critical if we are serious about international criminal justice and a more rule-based international system, this is uh, a lesson. What we have to do is to protect the progress that have been made towards a culture of accountability for atrocity crimes as an essential pillar of a rule-based global order. Those who serve and support the court are momentary and transient. I am. I am one of them. And it is the court, rather, it is the ICC and the Rome Statute system that have enduring value and that must be increasingly recognized and fiercely defended for the benefit of humanity and the promise of a more just world. The ICC and the countless victims of uh, atrocity crimes that look to the court as a last beacon of hope for justice must never be sacrificed at the altar of political expediency and the whims and whims of politics. The ICC was not designed or meant to win popularity contests, much less in the political theater that we operate, but rather as a court of law to do crucial work, trying the world's gravest crimes within the limits and the dictates of the Rome Statute. So the political world must reckon with this reality and to accept that the paradigm shift created by the ICC is one to be embraced, not resisted. And because we all win when atrocities are prevented, and perpetrators are held accountable through the twin pillars of joint international and complementarity action, we win. And the court's important work must continue to be allowed to be done unimpeded with continued principal support by states and other stakeholders of the system. I am confident that it will do just that with enhanced legitimacy and effectiveness, but without it, it will be an empty shell of a promise a promise that is unfulfilled and the reversion to a more lawless world. We will all be ultimately judged by the decisions we take and the principles we espouse, the principles we endorse and the principles we live by. I could almost end with that, but I know you have so much more knowledge and wisdom to share. <laughs> so um, can you share with us what you plan to do next after June or have you not thought about it? <laughs> what, what is next for Madame Bensouda? Well, you, you, you will. Um, people have been asking me these questions and uh, um, perhaps you will be surprised. Maybe not. But I, 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 I always say, uh, and this is what I, I feel, that uh, there's still work to be done. Even, even in the last few weeks of my mandate, I, I feel that there's uh, so much work to be done and uh, my focus is really on that. And we'll see what comes, come, come, comes next for me uh, in whatever form it takes. I, I, I can say, as long as it is in the course of service, service, this is very important for me, as long as in the course of, it is in the course of service, we will see how we, how we go with that. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm seriously, and I mean this, still focused on, on what I am doing, what I need to complete. 
And then I'll take a short break. I, I think I, I probably deserve that. <laughs> and uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll take time to, to, to think about the next steps. I think you deserve more than a short break, but <laughs> hopefully you'll take a longer <laughs> one. Um, and then I'm sure, you know, whatever comes your way, I'm sure a lot of people will be reaching out for jobs or or positions and, uh, you know, advice, I'm sure. So we look forward to seeing what's next for you in either case. Um, that's, that's I, I saw on the internet that you turned 60 in January. Congratulations. Yes. A big milestone. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, you are Thank a mother of three. You are a wife. You are a chief prosecutor. You are a woman. You're an African. So I know you have a lot of life lessons that you could share with us and wisdom. But I would like yes. for you to share three life lessons, you know, from the time you were born until today in yes. your 60 years, three life lessons that you have learned uh, with us, please. Okay. I, I, I think first and foremost, um, maybe it will be more focused in my later years, of course. But uh, one of the life lessons that I would start with is on, on perseverance and determination. Uh, we, we, we always uh, need to, to have that and a sense of purpose and, uh, and be serious about what we want, what we want to do uh, in, our, in our life and to give it uh, what it de deserves to, to make this happen. Um, uh, but perhaps in the, uh, I cannot fail to mention this, um, and this is in the latter part of my life, is that, uh, and these things matter to me uh, deeply and personally, especially when I started my international law career. Um, from Rwanda, when I served as a senior legal advisor uh, to the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda to now. And one of them is the courage of others. I see it as a source of constant inspiration. If you look at the, the, the serious crimes that we deal with, genocide, crimes against humanity, war crimes, and the crime of aggression, we all know, uh, Georgette, that it destroys life in all corners of the world. And the ICC gives hope for the victims of atrocity crimes who otherwise have no recourse to justice. And we derive inspiration from that knowledge. In fact, it is the courage and the resilience of victims and survivors that make it easier for us to continue fighting for justice, even when the challenges are complex, even when the obstacles are so big, they are what keep us going. Another lesson is inner resolve. Inner resolve, I believe it is key. Uh, the need to protect and afford justice to vulnerable groups in society has been a driving force in me for a long time. I talked about my, my very um, early early years, even before, uh, just when I finished high school. And I'm, and I'm even sure even before then. Yeah. Uh, and my resolve to carry out the duty I pledged to honor has never waived, no matter what. As I said, even though we are an independent, impartial judicial institution, we operate in a highly politicized world. We are used to pushing back on misinformation campaigns, personal attacks, I talked about it before, and even unfounded criticism. And we must expect these to continue irrespective of where in the world the ICC is investigating in the wake of atrocity. So one has to have that inner resolve 
to do what is right. Yuan has to, uh, to make sure that um, the, the resolve to carry out the duty, uh, the, the, the pledge to honor never wavers. Maybe one other life lesson that I can I, I would also mention is about gratitude. Mm. Um, to feel gratitude every day is a privilege. And uh, I am thankful to all who have supported me and my office's mandate. And I'm very grateful to have served as the ICC prosecutor and as its deputy prosecutor. I am proud of my dedicated professional team because I believe that together we have made the office more effective and more efficient. We brought in procedures to respond to challenges. We brought in, we made policies to clarify and guide our work in crucial areas, crimes against children, crimes on sexual and gender-based, and most recently on the destruction of cultural heritage. Indeed, my belief in the rule of law and its contribution to a better future for humanity has been an intrinsic part of my work and my personal commitment as a woman, as a lawyer, and as a prosecutor. And I shall always be grateful for the chance to make a contribution to this field. Thank you. That was very uh, inspiring and eye-opening. Um, I'm sure that a lot of people will learn a lot from these life lessons and, you know, hang on <laughs> when it's, uh, you know, when they come across very difficult moments in life, which we all would will. What would you like girls and women who aspire to be lawyers to know? First of all, I want them to know that they are the future. Um, uh, girls and women of any age who aspire to a career in the field of law, I would say the world needs you and they need your talent. They need your energy and they need your spirit and they need it today more than ever. So perhaps it is precisely through constantly having to wrestle with resistance, whether our own, their own self-doubts, whether circumstance or the voices of others that women build their very special form of inner strength and their quietly powerful voices. So I encourage the next generation of female, female lawyers to do as I did and to take inspiration from the strong and compassionate women who surround us. As, as half of uh, humanity on earth, women and girls must be allowed not only to live their lives in peace, but to live it to their fullest potential. So we must remain vigilant against any attempt to use the ongoing health crisis and the populist policies as pretexts to push back on progress that we've achieved. Whether it is about women's empowerment, whether it is about the rule of law or multilateralism, the world needs strong women lawyers to fight for victims and to protect the sanctity of judicial independence. The law can be a tool to empower women and ensure their voices are heard. But for as long as the cause of women's rights remains unfinished business, the long overdue goal of gender equality in education, in the workplace, in society must remain in our sights. I have always said, that equality for women and women empowerment means progress for all. Absolutely. Yay, yay. Please, anyone listening, make sure your daughters go to school and you push them further in education to achieve whatever they want. Thank you. And um, the last question is what message you have for our African youth who are 
a bit desperate in these times, you know, um, trying to find work, trying to make things better in their countries. What message do you have for them uh, of hope, you know? Yes, I, I, I definitely acknowledge and recognize the, the, the troubles, the problems that African youth are going through today. But as Africans, we should take pride in the many virtues of our picturesque continent. But we must also recognize that there is work to be done. There's still work to be done. And there can be no doubt that we all want to see a prosperous and a more peaceful continent in which the democratic values, the rule of law and human rights, these are universally respected and advanced. And holding those responsible for these crimes accountable is key for the continent's success. I would like to see the continent emerge that is blessed with fully developed infrastructure, continuous economic growth, and ample opportunity for its talented young population. Yes, talented young population, so that they can constructively contribute and secure the African, the continent's future. A more integrated and proudly pluralistic Africa, which reverses its brain drain problem and increasingly engages its vast and influential diaspora in moving it towards bigger and better successes. We must also acknowledge that fighting impunity for atrocity crimes and cultivating the rule of law are fundamental preconditions for a more peaceful and a more prosperous African continent. Africa has a massive youth population. This is Africa's greatest resource. It is its greatest future, and also it is its greatest asset. So I urge the African youth to follow their dreams and educate and equip themselves to reach those dreams and to contribute to their societies and countries, and indeed to the advancement of the rule of law and the cause of peace and justice at home and abroad. I have every confidence in the energy and the potential of African youth across the continent. I have goosebumps. This is like it. <laughs> Madame Bensouda, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your wisdom, and a part of your story with us. Uh, I truly appreciate it. For me, it's such an honor. This is like, to me, speaking to a celebrity. <laughs> I thank you so much. I wish you all the very, very best with the next um, step in your life. And we look forward to following what you were, you will be doing, and hopefully we can reach out to you again sometime in the future to to change, you know, talk about your your new, you know, your second part of this of life. Let's say after the ICC. Yes. yes. Well, thank you too very much for um, having me on the on the show. I I can tell you that I'm also very very proud oh. to be part of this and to contribute whatever little I could. To, to this series. I want to congratulate you personally for what you're doing. 